Let me ask you a question. Have you ever struggled to trust God's plan because it seemed to be against you? Have you ever struggled to trust God because his plan seemed to be against you? And if you're a Christian, I don't mean did you stop thinking you would be a Christian, but maybe you would stop taking it seriously. Have you ever had a hard time continuing to follow God, continuing to endure because the plan seemed to be against you? Like, God, if this is your plan for my family, then maybe it's not worth it to follow you. If, if this is your plan for our health, then maybe it's not worth it. If this is your plan for my career, maybe it's not worth it. How do you trust God? How do you follow God when his plan seems to be against you? Jesus gives us a clinic on how to answer that question at the cross. Jesus has been arrested. He's been beaten. He's been flogged. He's been sentenced to death. He's been mocked. And now he is nailed to a cross. He is a truly innocent sufferer. He's tired, he's sore, and he's thirsty. And then Luke tells us, in Luke 23, verse 44, it was about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three, because the sun's light failed. So Jesus is hanging on the cross and a darkness descends on the earth. Some people think this was an eclipse. Some people think this was Satan exercising some kind of power. But it was not an eclipse and Satan does not have authority over nature. This is God in the darkness. And it's from noon to three, which is the brightest time of the day. And this is in Jerusalem, where, you know, sometimes you have to wear sunglasses at night. It's just so bright there. And so imagine the horror as They've been mocking this man and it goes pitch black. This is not an eclipse. This is not Satan. This is God. It is his wrath and his judgment descending on the earth. And it's not coming down on the soldiers who were mocking the innocent man hanging there. It's not coming down on the Jewish leaders who had lied and manipulated things in order to get this man on the cross. 
It's not coming down on the crowd as they yell their insults. It's coming down on Jesus. This is the moment that Jesus was dreading in the garden. This is the moment that he was praying, God, could this, could this cup pass from me? This is the moment. The darkness descends on Jesus. Why? The next verse tells us, the rest of verse 45, the curtain of the sanctuary was split down the middle. As this darkness descends on Jesus, there's a curtain in the temple that is split from top to bottom. And this curtain would divide the Holy of Holies, which was the innermost part of the temple, a place that no human ever went except for once a year. And the only person allowed to go in there was the high priest, and he was only supposed to go in there to make an offering on the Day of Atonement for the sins of the people. And then once that was over, he was supposed to get out of there as fast as possible, and there was always a curtain that was up dividing that room the place that symbolized God's presence. There was always a curtain up blocking God's presence from the people. But when the, when the darkness descends, when the darkness descends on Jesus, the curtain is ripped. The darkness descended on Jesus so that sinners like us could walk in to God's light. Jesus is dying in the place of sinners. And that's why darkness is descending on him. And what do you think his attitude is while this is happening? As he's experiencing God's plan go against him. What's his attitude? Is he better? Is he resentful? Is he anxious about the future? Does he start to doubt? It tells us. Verse 46, and Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I entrust my spirit. Saying this, he breathed his last. What was Jesus' view of his father as he starts to experience this plan go against him? As he experiences the darkness fall on him, as he moves into death, what is his attitude towards his father? He trusts him. He still trusts God. Jesus followed his father's plan because he trusted his father's hands. 
Even when the plan started to go against him, Jesus followed his father's plan because he trusted his father's hands. Throughout all of Jesus' life, he never deviated to the right or to the left from his father's will. He always obeyed. He always did what his father wanted him to do. Even when it cost him. And so now he has followed God's plan. He has followed his father's plan to the cross where it's costing him everything. And what's his attitude? He still trusts his father because he knows his father's hands. What does that mean? He so knows the character the integrity of his father, that even when the plan goes against him, he says, I'm gonna keep going. So what's in the father's hand? In the Old Testament, Exodus chapter 15, verse six, tells us that there is power in God's hand. Lord, your right hand is glorious in power. Lord, your right hand shattered the enemy. In Isaiah 41, it says there is justice in God's hand. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be afraid, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will hold on to you with my righteous right hand. There is power and justice and there is eternal joy in the Father's hands. Listen to Psalm 16. In light of the fact that Jesus is here hanging on the cross, imagine these words in his mouth on the cross. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My body also rests securely, for you will not abandon me to Sheol. You will not allow your faithful one to see decay. You reveal the path of life to me. In your presence is abundant joy. At your right hand are eternal pleasures. Jesus followed his father's plan because he trusted his father's hands. He believed that, God, if your plan is to send me to the cross, there's gotta be something on the other side. Because in your hands are eternal pleasures. In your hands, there's justice. So you're gonna vindicate me. And in your hands, there is power so even though death might have the final say, you've got power in your hand. Jesus does not cower as God's plan starts to be against him. Instead, he is confident in his father's hands. So let me ask you something. 
Have you entrusted your life into the Father's hands? Listen to 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that he may exalt you at the proper time. This is God's promise to you. That if you entrust yourself to him, if you will humble yourself and entrust your life to him, at the right time, at the proper time, he'll lift you up. Maybe you're here tonight and you need to humble yourself and entrust yourself to your father and what that looks like for you is owning up to the fact that you're a sinner. You're a sinner who deserves to pay for what you've done to violate the honor of a holy and just God. And the only hope for you is the man who went to the cross named Jesus. Maybe you need to humble yourself and trust your life to the Father by confessing your sins and trusting in Jesus to save you, maybe for the first time tonight. Or maybe you need to entrust your life into the Father's hands by resolving tonight to continue obeying even though it's gonna cost you. I don't know what situation you might have in your life tonight, but maybe there's, there's a matter of obedience that you know, this is what God wants me to do. This is what it would look like to follow God's, to follow God's plan, but it's gonna cost me. It's gonna feel like the plan starts to go against me. It's, it's not gonna work out. It's gonna require a humbling. But here's God's promise to you. If you will humble yourself and entrust yourself to his hand, here's his promise that at the proper time, he'll lift you up. Maybe tonight you're struggling to endure. You've been following God for so long, but the plan seems to go against you for so long that you're not sure you can keep going. Consider him who endured the cross. Entrust yourself into the Father's hands because at the proper time, he will lift you up. Jesus trusted that promise. And so just before he breathes his last, he says, Father, into your hands I entrust my spirit. And I have good news for you. God kept his promise. And what God did for Jesus, he'll do for you. Jesus gave us a picture the night he was betrayed that helps us remember that truth. And the picture is the Lord's Supper. When you came in, I hope you got a piece of bread and a cup of juice. 
if you'll take that out now. For those of you who have been fasting with us today, we thought it would be a little anticlimactic if you broke your fast with a cracker. So um, we got you a piece of bread. If you'll take that out, and if you'll go ahead and open up your juice, we'll take these together in just a minute. When we take the Lord's Supper, this is a picture of who Jesus is and what he's accomplished for us. The bread is a picture of Jesus's body, the body that was nailed to a cross. And the cup is a picture a symbol of his blood, the blood that was shed so that sinners could enter where the curtain had been torn. And so as we take the Lord's Supper, what we're doing is we're confessing as we bring the bread to our mouths and as we bring the cup to our mouth, we're confessing that it's only by, by, by taking Jesus it's only by receiving Jesus that I can live. And so when you do this, it's also a testimony to the person around you that you believe in Jesus. You trust him as the only one who can wash away your sins. And so before we do this, would you take just a moment? You can smell the bread smell the cup and as you do so would you think about Jesus in the same way that this is appealing to your senses that's how Jesus is for your soul take just a moment to think about Jesus and what he accomplished on the cross and as you do so confess your sins to your heavenly father and thank him for sending Jesus to forgive you. Take just a moment. In 1 Corinthians 11, the Apostle Paul writes, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me.
I'll give you a minute to finish chewing there. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. That's what we've done tonight, is proclaim that Jesus died. He endured the cross. When God's plan came against him, he trusted his father's hands. He said, not my will, but your will be done. And he did it so he could save you. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for sending your son Father, thank you for your generous and humble plan. That though it cost Jesus, it made it possible for us to come into your presence, to experience the eternal pleasures that are in your hand. So God, I ask right now that your spirit would be active. For those who don't know you, I ask that you would introduce yourself tonight. God, for those who who know what obedience would cost and are counting the cost, would you help them to remember Jesus? Would we be a church who entrusts ourselves into your hands, who is obedient? no matter the cost. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.